Good morning. We have a few few more folks coming down the hallway. So we continue looking this fall at the topic of discipleship. And I've suggested that the best one more definition of being a disciple is being a Somebody said at least one person said it. Um, learner. Learner. Yeah, students. Uh, someone who learns. Someone who, and remember, we picked that term up from ancient culture that to be a disciple was to be a learner. And in the ancient world, if you were learning from a teacher, you wouldn't only um, sit down in a lecture hall and listen to their excellent pontification about things having to do with whatever your field of study might be. But, like, you know, see the modern university hall, right? You sit and you listen to a lecture but you would follow your teacher around to see how they lived and you know, what difference it made to their lives, especially as you're talking about the teachers who uh, taught about philosophy and things of what it is to be human and to be in relation to eternal realities. So it wasn't just head information, it was a way of being in the world. So you had to stay close to your teacher to learn what to do. Which I'll say, that, makes, that resonates for me with my teachers in theology. It, were, you know, it was the people who you would want to be around because there was something efficacious about their person. You know, of course, they had to prove it in the classroom that they've read the books and that they can give the lecture. But that there was something more in this life of being a servant of the church um, that I was attracted to in certain teachers, and I can think of a few of them who made a, a great impact. So we've been looking at discipleship and the way of love, I think was the last one that I was with you. Uh, we talked about discipleship and the way of love. Last week, Marisa talked about discipleship and race. This morning, we're talking about discipleship and creation, the environment. So let's start with a prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O merciful creator, your hand is open wide to satisfy the needs of every living creature. Make us always thankful for your loving providence. And grant that we, remembering the account that we must one day give, may be faithful stewards of your good gifts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Discipleship and creation care. So in the early church, we talked about um, two books of God's revelation. Revelation is, you know, showing us the nature of God's self. And there were two books. First, you have the book of Scripture. No surprise there, right? That the church has said in the book of Scripture, Scriptures, we have an account of the nature of God, God revealing God's self to us. But where does God first reveal God's self to us in Scripture? Genesis. Genesis. And what happens in Genesis? One, creation. God creates the heavens and the earth. So the, you know, the book 
other than scripture for us to look at for discerning God's ways, the book of creation. And this is not a 21st century idea um, as we're looking at environmental stewardship. This is an ancient idea. The, the early church thinkers spoke of um, God's revelation in all created things. It only makes sense if we believe, if we trust that God created earth, that there's something inside of um, outward things that speaks to us of God. The way that the Eastern Orthodox Church has spoken of this from very early on is that there is one word, capital W, the logos, the creative source, animating everything. We also hear it spoken of as Sophia, wisdom, feminine, wisdom. Um, so there's the one word who was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. But then everything else is a little word, a little W. Um, so that, that's an early Eastern Christian idea is that every other created thing is a little word that has life and participates in the life of the big W word. You with me? This is a huge idea that changes the ball game in terms of how we understand reality. I often uh, think about and perhaps speak about the uh, sacramental vision that we're working on as a church that we offer to the world. Through our sacraments, we come into contact with the big W word. Through our sacraments, through scripture, and it gives us eyes to see that things in the created world are participating in and have their life from that big W word. We don't know that unless we know what the big W word is, right? Or else we would just worship the stones worship the sun, worship the frog, whatever. I'm not making fun of any human culture in saying that, I'm saying we wouldn't know what to do with it other than saying, that's really neat. That's amazing, that's a miracle. It is, what's the source? We come to church, we uh, participate in the life of faith to make sense of the ways in which all of these little W words have their life. This is so important. Because then you say, well, why come to church if I get that everything out there is, you know, participating and showing us something of God's life? So I'll just worship God on the mountain. Why come to church? Well, fair, of course, it's God's mountain. But how do you know the story of God, right? And what has God done but call the people together to worship God, to say the prayers, to read the scriptures, right? What we do on a Sunday morning is what God has called us to do so that we have eyes to see and ears to hear the mountain. Uh, we, ha we have the eyes to see the mountain in all of its glory, in all of its beauty. We have a language to make sense of uh, the beauty of creation. Now, what about Genesis 3? That's when things go off the rails. Right. So God says it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. Seven times, I think. Right. We forget that Genesis one comes before Genesis three sometimes, especially in the Western church. Where we talk about, you know, original sin and the fall. And we think of, you know, you have some 
modern theologies that are just trying to escape all of this fallen, bad, evil world, right? But that's forgetting Genesis 1, good times seven. So we are in, we're caught up in the reality of a world that is sustained by God, that reveals God's very self, and is fallen, and is subject to evil and corruption. So discernment necessitates, you know, what are we, what are we sensing of God as we look around the created world? Look at the environmental crisis, and it's easy to see fall, sin, greed, overconsumption, etc. And we see that we are, in fact, not living in harmony with God and our neighbor. And our neighbor includes, you know, brother, moon, sister, fox, or whatever Francis said. <laughs> right? Francis talked about that preaching to the birds and talked about, you know, brothers and sisters as the, you know, as animals and trees, which is a wonderful way for us to make sense of um, the ecology, which we are a part of. We have an important role to play in Genesis. You know, we're, we're even uh, given this kind of authoritative role to play, but inside, because we're image bearers of the divine one. But that's inside of a, a connection, an interrelationship, an ecology, where everything belongs to each other. So a sign of the fall and of sin is our environmental crisis. We're not, we're not at peace with our environment, right? We use and abuse it for our own selfish uh, desires. That's something that you just don't hear every uh, you probably hear it from folks talking about the environment and other things in secular um, language of, of sort of we're not at we're not related properly. The church talks about that as sin, right? We're not related properly to each other or to God uh, or, you know, our, our environment. And it and it has serious consequences. But don't let that um, make you forget Genesis 1. So don't be naive to just look out at the world and say, everything is so perfect. Look at how it all reveals the glory of God. Have you read the news lately? But you look out at something, a neighbor, a sunset. I don't know what it is for you. Uh, the way yesterday for me walking back from the park was the way that the sun hit the trees in the park and this beautiful building. And I was like, ooh, beauty. That's some, that's some speech, that's some little W word of the goodness and beauty of God. You're more likely to see that when you're steeped in the book of the scriptures and in your sacramental practice to see the way that God is at work. You're also more likely to see the ways in which things have gone askew and feel the pain of the world when the created environment is crying out. You've heard me say, and I'll say it again and again, I do think that we are at a moment in history, modernity, late modernity, where we've sped everything up to an unsustainable rate. And, um, and you know, our economy can't keep up with it. Our mental health can't keep up with it. Our politics can't keep up with it. Our environment cannot keep up with the rate at which we're going. 
so we're going to have to change the way we do things. And what does that look like? Everybody thought in the pandemic, ah, kingdom come, we're going to change everything. Of course, that was a little blip where we kind of slowed down and said, look at the birds in New York City. It's amazing or whatever. And then we just get back on with realities. And it's not just us. There are powers and principalities. There are orders baked into the way we do things that like this just kind of the life that we're caught up in. Um, so I'm not wagging the finger of, you know, why did you get back on doing things just like we did before? Because that's what we've done. <laughs> it's what, we, what we've done. And I don't have any easy solutions, but I do know that as Christians, we have to be asking difficult questions or paying attention to realities. All right. So a sacramental vision, I believe in it. As we practice in the sacraments, we begin to see this world as a outward sign of God's grace. And we begin to see that we're not everything. We have a distinctive role to play, humans, but we're not everything. And that gives us a kind of humility. Again, Francis's sister, moon, brother, son, I don't remember what he called these things, um, but you get the point. Um, humility. As I remind us, uh, C.S. Lewis saying, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not just about me and my exertion of my sort of will, but coming before created realities with some humility. Martin Luther said, I don't always quote Luther, but when I do, it's worth noting. Um, Martin Luther said that if the world was going to end tomorrow, what would he do today? What did he say? Anybody know? I'm going to get my coffee. That's what he would say. Let's get some coffee. Let's get some coffee. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of true, Barbara. Let's get some coffee. Uh, Martin, Luther, Martin Luther said, if the world were going to end today, I, or tomorrow, I would plant a tree today. So if there's something worth doing that goes with the grain of God's revelation, God's goodness, if there's something worth doing based on that revelation, our discipleship, then it's worth doing now and always now. If we knew that tomorrow the earth is going to collide into the sun and that's the end of the human race and all of that, plant a tree today because there's an eternal reality that we're participating in. That's why we're ultimately not afraid of death, even though we are. But like our, our theology, our faith practice gives us the capacity to not fear death because in death, life is changed, not ended. God is God and we'll have life from God just as we do now. So if the world's gonna end tomorrow, plant a tree today. If it's worth doing ever, do it the day before the world ends. Do you see Martin's point? So friends, how do we learn how to live honest, honestly, look at things as they are. How do we learn how to live with humility and to realize that that is a path to begin living now because we're participating in God's wisdom, God's life, God's eternal life. This is what Jesus means when he says, you know, I've come that you may have everlasting life. He's not just talking about going to heaven when you die. In John's gospel, especially, he's talking about you participating in God's life now, which will be forever. So you can have eternal life now. 
the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news, Jesus says. We don't have to wait for eternal life. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the son of God became human so that humans can participate in the reality of God. Last thing, and then I want you to talk a little bit. Um, sometimes in the West in particular, we have followed Plato more than Jesus. And what I mean by that is uh, Platonic thought has this separation between matter and spirit. So matter, stuff, um, is just come from a kind of, you know, violent activity in the heavens that's spit out stuff down here. And we're going to escape this and go back to the spirit realm, right? That's the, this world is hell in, to hell in a handbasket. There's no sacramental vision. We're just trying to escape and get back to heaven. That's the, you know, the result of Platonism. But spirit became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Redeeming matter, saying it's good. It's very good. So as Christians, spirit and matter are joined together. We can't pull them apart. Uh, so how do we begin uh, to discern the spirit at work in material creation and uh, use it as stewards to the glory of God? All right, that's what I've got uh, in terms of the environment and discipleship. Should we care about the environmental crisis? Absolutely. As Christians, spirit and matter belong together. Do we have a unique role to play in the midst of a world so sped up that we're drinking up the pond? We really do. A role of humility in seeing the way that we're a part of an ecology. So here's what I would like for you to talk about um, in the 10 minutes that you have remaining. Anything that struck you? from this talk, you could just say, hey, I want to share this with a group. I'm wrestling with this, or I, you know, I'm intrigued by that. I also want you to think about, if nothing intrigued you from what I said, that's okay. Uh, you don't have to come up with something. Talk about the ways in which you see um, the, the life of faith, your discipleship, uh, coming into contact with uh, environmental stewardship. So is that something that you uh, are challenged by because of your faith to take environmental stewardship more seriously, or maybe it's just, I haven't really thought about it. I haven't thought about the way Christian faith and the environment go together. Um, or share a story about like, hey, I do this because of my Christian faith and as it relates to the environment. When it can feel helpless because we're caught up in these structures of sin, plant a tree today, do the small thing, Right? Think about how you might change your behavior because if something that is worth doing at any time is worth doing today. So we need not feel helpless even as we recognize with, um, even as we recognize that we're caught up in systems that are bigger than us. And that's to do with the environment and every, everything else kind of. So something that struck you, how does Christian faith and the envir environmental stewardship go together for you? Enjoy. <laughs> Friends, I have a closing thought 
and then I need to run upstairs because I'm the celebrant. And then you can finish up your thoughts if, if you wish. You're welcome to stay and, and continue talking. But two things that I want to point out. Will we solve the problem or not? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that, I, would be, I would be a liar if I told you that we would, that we will. I don't know. Um, but if it's something that's worth doing, planting a tree, plant it. And God's relying on us as the people of God called in by the Spirit to reflect God's glory to do something about it. So that's a bit of a downer, but, but, it's, but I think it's honest. Will we solve the problems? I don't know. Um, but can we do something about it? For sure. And we're called to now. The, the last one is this concept of jubilee in scripture. Uh, the concept of jubilee was that after a certain number of years, people who were caught up in debt would be forgiven their debt. Uh, another part of that is not just about uh, humans, but is that after a certain number of years, you would let the land lay fallow. Isn't this kind of lovely to think about? That, that you would allow the land to lay fallow. That is just let it rest. So here's this beautiful image of Jubilee in scripture of how we would free each other from bondage, debts, and, and give humanity hope, especially those who are downtrodden or weighed down by something they can't pay, so to speak, um, but also that we would allow the land space to rest and that we would give thanks to God for what the land has produced, um, which means we would have to stop our sort of incessant consumerism and say, let the land rest, let it be. So two thoughts, um, I'm gonna run upstairs Thank you for being here, as always, and God bless you. Thank you. See you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you.